0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11, should be found on page 437. Your pew Bibles are 850 in the large print. And before we, uh, before we begin reading, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again, for this day that you have made, and we thank you for the gifts that you have given. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, which we have to read and proclaim. We pray that you would help us not to take it for granted, but to take it seriously. That we would learn better about who you are and who we are, and what it is that you are doing in this world and in our lives. God, we pray that... um, You'd help us not to learn your word better, that we would become um, arrogant as those who know your word, but that we'd be humbled as we come to know you through your word. Lord, we pray this morning that as we hear your word, read and proclaimed, that by, by your word and by your spirit, we would be formed and fashioned and shaped from the inside out, more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 16, a mitcom of David, says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names, or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I will have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And then turning to First Peter chapter 1, Verses 3 through 9, which can be found on page 980 or 1886 in large print. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes this to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout. He says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, we are, this morning, continuing a series that we have begun through the book of Acts, which we're only going to do for, oh, a few more weeks before we, uh, before we pause for Lent. And we'll look at uh, something else at that point, which I will tell you then. Um, but for now, we are continuing this, this story of Acts and what we see in Acts is this message of Jesus going out into all the world. We see this is Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, continuing. This is the part two. So in Luke, he tells about Jesus and all that he began to do and to teach. Up until he was crucified, died, was raised again, and then taken up into heaven. And then in the book of Acts, he begins by saying exactly that. My first book was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. And the second one is all about the continuation of what Jesus is about in the life of his church. And we, uh, we read last Sunday, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, which I'm just going to remind you of because it's important to have that in mind as we get to our passage for today. And that is that the whole church, which at that time was not very big, as those apostles of Jesus, the disciples, they're all gathered in one place, in one room, in one city, in the whole of the world. That's as much as everything had spread. And the reason why they were all gathered together in one place, in one room at that time, not only is because it's small, but because Jesus had said, don't start going everywhere and telling people about me yet. Don't do it. Wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait and stay there until you receive the gift my Father has promised this gift of the Holy Spirit. What we read then in chapter 2 is uh, that this is what was happening. They're gathered together in one place, and they hear the sound of a violent rushing wind, and they see what appears to be uh, flames, tongues of fire, coming to rest on each one of their heads. And they start speaking in other languages, and people gather around and they say, what is this that's going on? And they start trying to make sense of what they're seeing. And so some of them are amazed and perplexed, asking each other what does it mean. Some of them, on the other hand, decided it must be because they were drunk. That's what's going on. It's the only way they had to explain it. This morning we get the actual explanation of what was really going on. And so we have a very long passage here. This is the sermon that Peter stands up to preach, kind of the the first official Christian sermon, I suppose. You may be struck by its brevity, but don't worry. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14 and going through verse 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This sermon that Peter preaches, I mentioned its brevity, but I hope you noticed that Peter actually preached longer than this. That was not the entirety of his sermon. You see that Luke has summarized it for us as he then says in verse 40, with many other words he pleaded. (laughs) With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, this uh, word "corrupt," by the way, it's fascinating. It says uh, "corrupt" here in the NIV. There's a little different take on it in Greek, and that is the word uh, skolios. Anybody familiar with this word in the Greek Skolios? This is one of those that we, we get a Greek word, or we get an English word from this one. Maybe you've heard of scoliosis. And you know what scoliosis is, right? It's where your spine, instead of being straight like it's supposed to be, like it's made to be, has become crooked or warped. And we see this word being translated other places that same way, that it's this crooked or warping of something that is intended to be straight. And the way that Peter is talking about it is talking about this generation. He says this generation, this, uh, this time, these people... were supposed to be living their lives in line with what God had for them, and yet every single person had become warped and crooked, twisted. He says, this is what they needed to be saved from, and it's the same thing, by the way, that we need to be saved from. We are all, that, when he's talking about this generation, it was not just about that particular generation, but every person in every generation needs to be saved from the twistedness and the crookedness and the bentness of their own generation. Because we keep reliving it again and again from the time of Adam and Eve until today. We have all become bent and twisted and crooked um, from how we are intended to be. So how does he get this message across? He gets this message across in this first sermon by doing exactly what it is that Jesus said they were going to do. You have people gathered here from everywhere. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, stay in Jerusalem, wait until you receive the promise that my father sent, or that my promised, the gift my father's promised. He said, uh, when they asked him about the times and dates, he said, that's not for you to know, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all uh, Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses and what these people are saying now, what Peter is saying, when everybody says, I don't know what's going on. We're talking in other languages. We hear these weird sounds. I think they're drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no. We are not filled with those kinds of spirits, <laughs> alcoholic spirits. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That is what's going on. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to now be witnesses of what we have seen and what we have heard. And what is it, it they're testifying to? Verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This is what they are testifying to. This is what they are proclaiming. When they have this experience of the Spirit of God coming into their lives, and people say, what's going on? They say, I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus. That is their answer. This is what we have seen, this is what we have experienced, and this is what we are going to tell you about. And this is great and wonderful news. Kind of. We sing every Christmas time, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, right? We know those words so well. And we sing them at Christmas time because it's at Christmas when we celebrate Jesus coming into the world, the King coming to the earth that he created. And we sing, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. But if you know the story of Jesus, you know that when the king came, we didn't receive him. And it says, Let every heart prepare him room. And you know the story that every heart did not prepare him room. And so it starts actually as bad news it's kind of good news, bad news, good news. The good news is that the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, God finally sent him. And God is faithful to his promises, and he sends Jesus as the Messiah. And he shows that he is the one through all these signs and wonders that he performs. And so everybody around has clear evidence this is the one that God is sending. Because God is good, and he's faithful to his promises. And he's going to rescue his people and save us from these crooked and warped generations. The problem is when he, when he came, Instead of receiving him, we killed him. Verses 30 or 22 and 23. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by wonders, by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God had made promises, promise after promise, generation after generation, year after year, for a long, long time, that Jesus was going to come. And when Jesus came, he gave evidence after evidence that he was the one that God had been promising And people even who were claiming to be watching out for the promises of God, people who were claiming to know the word of God, saw Jesus and said, we don't want that. That's not what we were hoping it would look like. So we'll get rid of that. And so Peter is preaching now. I don't know if you've ever considered his audience here. But Peter is preaching to some of the very people who were still in and around Jerusalem since Passover time. Some had been there then. Some had gone home and come back for Pentecost. Some lived there. And he said, you're the same people. You're the people who knew him, who saw him, and who banded together and chanted for Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, what do you want me to do? Crucify him. Crucify him. That's what we want. Not joy to the world. The Lord has come. But the Lord has come, and we don't want him. Get rid of him. This is Peter's audience. So when Peter then continues and says, but God raised him from the dead, because it was impossible for death to keep his hole in him. That's what we sang earlier the kids. There's nothing that can stop the plan of God. He is going to do what he's going to do. And even when he sends Jesus and everybody says, we're going to get rid of him, we're going to, we're going to kill him, and that will put an end to it. Nope. Death itself is no match for God, the author of life itself. Death doesn't stop his plans doesn't stop his purposes, doesn't stop what he's going to do in this world. And so when they kill Jesus, God raises him to life again. And the plan continues. And in his resurrection, this is what the disciples are witnesses of, that that doesn't stop God's plan. They are witnesses of Jesus who is the Lord, and even over life and death. And now, this is where the people hear this—not as good news, but as bad news. Good news that Jesus came, but bad news because we killed him. And if we are the ones who are the enemies of what God is doing, again, like we sang in the song, if we're on the, we're trying to get in the way of what God is going to do, it will be really, 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 really not so good for you, right? And they realize that, and they say. We were wrong. This is not what we should have done. But it's too late, isn't it? Now, here's where it gets personal. We've been looking at what happened that first day, that Pentecost, with those people over there and their generation. But I already told you that it's our generation that's also crooked and warped and corrupt. It's also our own generation and even our own hearts that have every single one of us turned away from God. We've all made the decision, basically, to throw off the yoke of the king and to say, we want to be our own king. So God has provided Jesus and we say, no, thank you. And then we realize he is the only hope that we have. He is the only source of life. He is the only way to be saved. And then we say, oh no. We have already chosen, and we've chosen poorly. And now it's too late. Now, what comes next is really good news. Peter speaking to the very people were chanting crucify him crucify him once they realize what they have done and they say what can we do now listen to this peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit the promise is for you and your children and for all all who are far off for all whom the lord our god will call this is the good news and even though they have done what, you don't get any worse than this, than actually killing Jesus, the one who is Lord and Messiah. And by the way, all these, what Peter's doing is going back to the Old Testament, showing again and again that Jesus was not just some guy, but he was not, not just the one that God had promised to sin. He was God in the flesh. That's what all this uh, quoting the Old Testament is about. He's God in the flesh. And when God came to the earth and you killed him, you don't do much worse than that. So if there's anybody ever in history who is beyond hope of salvation, it's these people. And they understand that, and they say, oh, no, or maybe something worse than that, but get the idea. And Peter says, you're not beyond hope, because even though Jesus died, and even though you meant it for evil, you remember Joseph at the end of uh, the book of Genesis when his brothers come to him, and he says, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. For the saving of many people. What Peter is saying here is, it's not that he's saying, you know what, it's fine that you killed Jesus. No, no, no. He's saying, what you intended for evil and what you did in an evil way, God took that. And he said, you can't overcome my plan. I am still going to do good things, even for the very people, for the very people, who killed Jesus. And it says that they then received him. They were, uh, says, repent, turn away from what you were doing wrong, be baptized, be joined up with, uh, with God and fellow Christians, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Have you ever stopped to consider that the, the people who made up the early church Some of them are the very same people who were chanting to crucify Jesus not that long before. In other words, when we look back at the early church and we start thinking, those are the people, these holy people who had it all right. These are like the worst people (laughs) that you could imagine. They have done the worst thing that you could ever do in the history of everything that's happened. They killed God in the flesh the most rebellious act ever to happen in human history. And this is who God starts the church with. Now, if that doesn't tell us something about the nature of the church, to be forgiving of not just the small things, but of everything, this should be a place where nobody should ever come into the church and say, God couldn't forgive me. Or where somebody would stay out of the church because they say, what I've done is too bad. This should be a place where what we're proclaiming is the resurrection of Jesus and the power of forgiveness that accompanies that. Where we say, there's nothing, there's nothing that can stop the plan of God. Say, yeah, but I did this. It doesn't matter. It does matter, but it is not something that's going to stop what God is doing. And if he is calling to you, then you cannot say, but I've done something too bad. Instead, what we do, we repent, we turn back to him, and we accept the offer of forgiveness that he has given to us in Jesus. And then we live, not as the worst people ever, but as the most forgiven people ever. And we go out as those who are witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit, witnesses to Jesus and his resurrection, and the resurrection power and forgiveness that we can have in our lives. Our God is straightening out crooked people, straightening out uh, crooked generations and drawing people back to himself and to each other and putting everything right again. May we be those who experience and who share this message of hope for everyone who needs to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.